Next up, we have Dr. Anna Hay. She's currently a neurology registrar at Royal Melbourne Hospital. Yes, she has to put up with me. Uh, during her university years, she pursued an interest in neuroscience at the Max Planck Institute for Cognitive and Brain Sciences, looking at the neural correlates of free decisions and their implications for free will. Speaking of will, she is suffering from a significant virus and is here tonight based only on the power of her own will and hot toddies. Anna. G'day, everyone. Apologies if you can't hear me. Can everyone hear me? Yes. All right. All right. Now, today I'm going to talk about Marie Curie, and uh, the, the title of my talk I thought I'd call uh, How to Win a War, and that becomes a bit relevant later. Let me, let me introduce, let me set the scene. Let me take you back to um, Poland at the turn of the 19th century. Poland, in fact, geopolitically didn't exist at that time. It had, in fact, been invaded by three entities, Russia, Prussia, and Austria, after a botched attempt at a pseudo-democracy at the time. Um, and so it, it, it wasn't really a thing. Poland didn't really exist. But it absolutely did exist still in, in the hearts of the Poles. Um, they were ever faithful to their motherland, and, in fact, um, they, they tried twice to overthrow their uh, occupants. The first time... Um, the, the first uprising was by the Polish Military Academy, um, and the second time was by a group of very disorganised insurgents, and both, uh, both, both res resulted in an absolute skirmish. It was a, a complete embarrassment to the Poles, and so here they were still occupied by the Russians. Um, and they decided that the third time they were going to try something different. So brute force was clearly not their forte, and so they had to come up with something new. But they came up with a really great idea, a greater, greater idea than ever. They thought this was an idea that could never fail. It was called Polish positivism. Um, they decided they were going to defeat Russia by being good, hard-working folk, go to university and study maths and science. Infallible. Great plan. I, I, I was amazed um, that they came up with this idea before Asian mothers did. <laughs> Basically, the, the foundation of Polish positivism was this. Poland's place in the world would be determined by the sum of her contributions made to the world's scientific, technological, economic and, and cultural progress. So in other words, the only way in which their Polish identities could be preserved was through hard work and progressiveness in order to beat Russia at this society game. So enter the Sklodowska family. Marie Curie, born Maria Sklodowska, was the daughter of a true positivist household where education was seen as a powerful weapon which could fundamentally change and ennoble society. Her family would painstakingly organise private tutorials for her, uh, for their children and children within their, uh, their Polish circles of friends, all undercover for fear of being found out by the Russians. Um, and then the usual story goes, of course, you know, to nobody's surprise, she graduated from high school, top of her class. Um, and then once she finished school, according to conventional wisdom, she, 
naturally couldn't afford, couldn't afford university abroad and, and the Polish universities wouldn't admit women. Um, so for the next eight years, she worked as a governess, uh, a governess to be able to save for university abroad. It seems that there is actually more to the story than that. It's come to light that during this time, she was involved in a secret underground university for thousands of women across Poland. <clears throat> this was called the Flying University, and it was founded by a very close family friend of the, the Sklodowska family. Their meetings would be held in private apartments, and its teachers included many prominent Polish philosophers and scientists at the time sourced from all over Warsaw. So, essentially, she was one of those people who would, and we all know one of them, who would be pretending during their holidays that they weren't studying, weren't studying. No, I'm not, I'm not studying. <laughs> no, I study, no, 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 I'm cool, like, studies, no. Um, so, anyway, so, after eight years, she scrimped together all, all the money um, she could get and, and made it over to Paris. So, fast forward to 1890, we're in Paris. Debussy is over there com composing Claire de Lune. Monet was violently pushing Impressionism out of its birth canal. The Moulin Rouge was celebrating its first birthday. And over at the Sabon is a strange sight, a very strange sight indeed. There's this very, very unfashionable and slightly overweight and uh, Polish governess um, applying to, for enrolment in the Faculty of Science. A foreigner, a woman. Um, and, and the rest is actually just history. I'm, I'm sure this audience knows what Marie Curie actually did. But for those of us with early onset Alzheimer's, let me remind you, for her doctoral work, she studied this phenomenon of radiation. Um, this was a new type of energy that was um, found to emanate from uranium-containing salts, um, an energy so penetrant that it travelled through solid objects. Um, and she demonstrated that radiation was a, uh, was a property inherent to uraniums specifically, irrespective of its physical or chemical state. Um, and that other known elements of the periodic table possess this, this, this property too, and, and she dubbed it radioactivity. So after having systematically surveyed through all the known elements of the periodic table, she, became, she began uh, uh, surveying uh, natural substances. Um, and in doing so, she, she came across the sub substance called pitchblende and found that uh, this naturally occurring ore had hundreds of times the radioactivity of pure uranium and very correctly deduced that this must be a new, as yet undiscovered element. And through you know, years of, of, of labour, um, managed to isolate two new elements of the periodic table. Uh, polonium, named after her beloved Poland, which didn't actually exist still at that time either, and, and radium. Now, I, I'm sure this audience also knows about the scientific significance of her work, but again, if, if you're having a transient amnestic attack, let me remind you, um, uh, it, it was actually reasonably significant. You see, up until that point, atoms um, were thought to be, well, by definition, were thought to be um, the smallest indivisible particle of which you know, everything was made up of. And in fact, the word atom comes from the, the Greek, you know, indivisible, atom, no cut, you, ca you can't cut it. Um, and radiation was found to be the result of an atom 
um, spontaneously decaying, breaking up, um, and thereby transmutating fundamentally uh, a piece of matter, spontaneously transmutating into a fundamentally different type of matter. Okay, so uranium breaks apart and, and, and transmogrifies somehow into a completely different element on the periodic table, called thorium, okay? Um, and, and this was revolutionary at the time. It's sort of like me, like for the, for the biologists in the room, like me losing a chunk of my DNA and transmutating into a fish. Um, and so that, that was quite controversial. Um, the, the second thing that it helped reveal is the structure of the atoms. So at the time, the, um, the accepted... Um, uh, they weren't quite sure what an atom actually looked like, and the accepted view was that an atom was like a, a jelly, a jelly of positive charge um, interspersed with little bits of negative charge, sort of like plums in a plum pudding. Um, and in an experiment, um, uh, one of, uh, one of uh, Marie Curie's colleagues, um, what he did was, qu was quite novel. He, he took um, alpha radiation, which they discovered were actually particles. They were particles of positive charge, two protons, two neutrons. And, they, and he fired them in a line um, against a sheet of gold foil. And what he found was that 99% of them passed straight through this sheet of gold foil, but 1% came deflecting right back at him. Okay. So what, what does this tell us? It tells us that atoms are actually over 99% empty space except for this one tiny, dense, little, positively charged nucleus. And this is, this is the same model of the atom that we still have today. So, so quite significant um, implications of uh, Marie Curie's discoveries. Um, <clears throat> now, the significance of her work was recognised in instantly, um, which was quite unusual for the time. Um, and, um, in, in fact, the, uh, it, it was so... You know, it was so celebrated that her, she was she was quite um, she she became quite a decorated woman. Okay, so the uh, she claimed uh, she she received quite a lot of recognition, but not so much from her colleagues in France, but by the, the King of Sweden, and ultimately went on to receive um, a Nobel Prize. She became the first woman to receive a Nobel Prize, and still remains uh, the only. Um, person in history to hold two Nobel, Nobel Prizes in two different categories, one in physics and one in chemistry. And according to Google, she's also the only person in history to have defended their doctoral thesis and received a Nobel Prize in the same calendar year. <laughs> so, um, and, and the Curie family between them hold more Nobel Prizes than any other fa um, family in history too. Um, so, what do Marie Curie's discovery have to do with real life? There's not enough time to talk about all of them, so I'll just stick to a few. Um, so I did promise to talk about warfare or how to win wars. Um, so let, let me just venture into war just for a sec. Um, World War I broke out in 1914, and the day it broke out, Maria, or Mari, was in transit to Paris, unfortunately, um, which inconveniently mean, meant that her train was cancelled and she was stuck in transit for the next four years. Um, so, realising this, she looked for ways to entertain herself. Um, now, a number of years prior, Dr. Röntgen had discovered that these there, there were these mysterious rays, or X-rays as he called them, X being the unknown variable um, that you need to solve for, obviously, could, could pass, these rays could pass through human skin, um, but not 
through bone, um, such that when a body, for example, if his wife's hand were placed against photographic film and you tried to develop the film and you, you shot X-ray beams at it, the rays leave a shadow of the bones but not of the hand. And this turned out, of course, to be the same radiation discovered by Marie Curie. Um, so Marie decided that she would take it upon herself to learn human anatomy, construct an X-ray machine, um, fit it to an automobile and personally drive it up and down the front line in France in order to diagnose fractures and uh, the location of shrapnel wounds. She constructed 18 more of these units. Let me remind you, this is uh, 1914 and she was a woman on her own and her husband had died. Um, uh, she constructed 18 more of these units um, after lobbying various groups to provide her for, for funding to do so. And then she opened a school for women, because all the men were fighting, um, women of all walks of life, from shoemakers to socialites. Um, she would teach them anatomy, maths, trigonometry, um, basic physics, how to make x-rays. She would teach them how to drive a car she would teach other women how to become teachers. Um, and between them, they imaged hundreds of thousands of wounded soldiers in France. Um, the war ended in 1918, and her beloved Poland was once again given its independence back. Yay. Um, and it wasn't really until the end of the war that the, the Institutes of Science in France finally actually embraced her as a colleague rather than as a, a non-male outsider. She became the first female president of Sabon. In 1934, Marie Curie passed away from aplastic anemia, which is a condition where your bone marrow stops um, making blood cells. Um, and it's a condition that was uh, obviously linked to her lifelong exposure to toxic doses of, of radiation. In fact, Marie Curie um, should have, in, in reality, died a lot sooner than that. So it's, it's quite um, a miracle that she lived into her 60s. Eleven years later, in, uh, in 1945, in the final week of World War II, the United States dropped the atomic bomb on the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, killing around 200,000 people. Now, in the last 24 hours, around the same number of people have received, around the world today, radiotherapy for the treatment of their cancer. So how do you win a war? As the Poles would put it, through scientific technological, economic and cultural progress. But how, how should you win a war? I would, add to, I would add one more thing to that, and that's the study of ethics. Now, I want to finish by um, talking about an important war which is still being fought everywhere in the world. Um, and in some parts it's being won and in some parts it's being lost. I want to talk about the battle for gender equality. Now, for me, this was uh, Marie Curie's greatest work of all. She was the first woman to have received a PhD in science, and that was as remarkable at the time as getting a Nobel Prize. Her legacy was the catalyst that completely overturned the institutionalization of male supremacy within academic circles throughout Western society, um, and that's not to say that the present situation um, is perfect. It isn't, as very rightly pointed out by Sophia early on tonight. 
But I'm a woman standing in this room full of scientists, of which about half of you look like you're women. And, um, and uh, judging by the response of the audience, uh, at least uh, quite a significant number of you have had a tertiary education. Um, and I, I, I've been afforded a great tertiary education, and I'm thankful. But I know that the same couldn't be said if I were born elsewhere in this world right now. It's the 1st of June, 2016, and there are parts of this, of this world where the war is being lost, not just in a I-can't-get-my-bloody-professorship sense, um, but where human rights are still being violated, violated systematically against women and often with government sanction. So how do we win this war? I don't have the solution, but I have a feeling the polls might just know where to start. Thank you.